The following audio message is from Neighborhood Church in Overland Park, Kansas. At Neighborhood Church, we seek to be a community that loves God and our neighbors together. If you would like to learn more about Neighborhood Church, please go to www.neighborhoodchurchop.com. My name is Dave Parton, and I'm glad you're all here, and I'm glad you all wore the costume today. It was good. Many of you wore the costume. My mom sent me some money for my birthday, and um, she said, um, buy a nice shirt you can preach in. So I bought a hoodie for today. <laughs> so I sent, her, I sent her a picture. I said, I'm preaching this. She's like, yeah, you would. That's exactly what I meant, Dave. That's exactly what I meant. So we are in the book of Exodus, uh, talking about pursuing God. Uh, Exodus is the second book in the Old Testament. Uh, it's a, as we learn about the history of God's people, uh, the Hebrews, we're going to call them God's people. We're going to call them the Hebrews. We're going to call them the Israelites. Uh, this book is about their escape or their rescue uh, out of Egypt and their travels to the promised land. Uh, so uh, if you're just now catching up with us or recently been coming, the book, book of Exodus is about the life of Moses. It's got the, uh, the story of the ten plagues in it. It's got the story of the ten commandments in it. It's got the story of the tabernacle or this tent that became the traveling uh, synagogue. And it's also the book with the 40 years of wandering in the desert. So all that's in the book of Exodus, and that's what we are studying together. So historically, in the timeline, we're currently between the, the great rescue uh, in Egypt and the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. And there's a lot of walking and traveling. And anytime we can, can and uh, look at spaces on the globe where things in the Bible are happening, I think it's good for us because sometimes we think about things that are, you know, three, 4,000 years ago, and it's almost like it's in some other land somewhere, but it's actually like it's here on this planet. It, it, they happen. These places, many of them exist like mountains. They're still there, right? So I wanted to bring us to uh, some maps today as we, as we move along. And this is where we are, northern Africa, southern Europe, there in the, the edge of Asia. So next slide. So zoom in a little bit. This is the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, this is commonly where we go to when we study places of the Bible because this is where all of this happened. So we're down here in the corner uh, where the Red Sea kind of has like two bunny ears right there. So we're going to zoom in there one more time. And this is, you know, Egypt to Mount Sinai. So this, is, this place was pretty famous. This area was pretty famous a couple years ago when a boat got stuck in the Suez Canal. So that left bunny ear, that's the Suez Canal that connects basically the Atlantic Ocean and the Indian Ocean. Just to get you a, a framework of where these folks were walking, they basically were walking down the path of the Suez Canal, right? That's kind of where they were walking. Like, a boat might get stuck here one day. You know, of course, that should not happen. But like that's, that's where we're at in the world uh, where the book of Exodus exists. And, and this area where all those, uh, the delta is um, of the Nile, that's lush green area that the Egyptians were coming from. They came from a, a lush space, though in slavery, but a lush space. And now they are walking in desert. So they're... Um, Moving from captivity, being taken care of in captivity, to being in the desert 
free, but being connected and freely worshiping God. And last week, we ended up with being reminded that uh, they are being put into situations. These Israelites are being put into one situation after the next that kind of forces them to be dependent on God and no longer on the Egyptians, of course. And last week, their need was thirst. Let's just read the first uh, verse here from Exodus 17. Now, they'll be up on the screen. Be, there's Bibles around. Um, feel free to use a Bible uh, there if you want to kind of see where we're at in Exodus. Kind of look forward and back as we talk about this. We'll be in uh, 17.8 here in a second. But Exodus 17.1 to start off, off where, we're, where we're at and to remind us what's going on in context. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. That's what we talked about last week. And there was a staff that hit the rock and God provided water for the people. Let's pray before we read verse eight. Holy Spirit, Jesus, God, we need you. We thank you. We thank you for the work that you have already done for us. We thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for the truth and the foundation that we can stand on because of the, who you are and the way you've already acted and that you do not change, so you will continue to act for us today. Father, we pray today as we talk about battles, we talk about needs, we talk about dependence, that you would move our hearts to understand and, and rely on you more and more. May our lives be aligned to your will. It's in your name. Amen. So verse 8. Let's see what the next need is. That Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I may utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So the recent needs have been internal, food, water. But now their need is external. They need protection. And we see God be their savior once more. So today, as we kind of walk through the passage, we do this most Sundays, we read a section of the Bible and kind of go through uh, line by line, just to get an idea of what is God doing in these situations. So verse 17, 8, we read, then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. What is going on here? 
Moses did not mention any reason for the Amalekites to attack Israel, but uh, for the first readers and the pe- people who know about these situations and the people, the Amalekites, uh, they know the history and the hostility between this people group. You see, Esau and Jacob had a rivalry. When we say Israelites, the word Israelites, it's the people of Israel, but it's also another name for Jacob. Israel and Jacob is the same person. Jacob had a brother, Esau. You guys may or may not know that story, but Jacob and Esau were, um, Jacob kind of stole things from Esau, like his birthright and his blessing, and there became basically enmity or a battle or a rivalry between these people, these brothers. And there was some restoration, of course, but the grandkids and the grandkids and the grandkids saw that rivalry continue. These descendants of Esau, they kind of organized themselves as a, a, a kind of a nomadic group in this region. Um, and they, they lived uh, partially by attacking other people and plundering them and taking their wealth and killing them. That's Esau's lineage and the Amalekites. So what is Moses going to do as they run into this people group? 17.9. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. So another person now introduced, Joshua. Who is this character? It's the first time we learn of who Joshua is in the Bible. He apparently had spent some time uh, in leadership of some sort between Egypt and now as they're traveling down the path of the Suez Canal, if you will. And as he considers what his role is, he's recognizing that he must have some sort of strategy or battle skills that Moses would turn to him. And now it's time for the first testing combat here in the Bible. We don't have a ton of this happening yet. Now, if you keep reading, there'll be many battles, of course, between the Israelites and other nations. But this is kind of their first battle post-Egypt. He was surely uh, younger than Moses. Um, he, he does um, take on the, uh, the rule, of, if you will, or the guidance of the Israelites after Moses' death. And Moses even referred to him multiple times as his young assistant. But what do we know about Joshua, this new character we've just introduced where Moses is like, and a guy named Joshua, you figure this out for us. I just want to go to Joshua real quick, 1-1. You don't have to go there. But after Moses dies, in Joshua 1-1, the Lord said to Joshua, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now go over the Jordan and lead these people, the people of Israel, in every place you put your foot, I've given to you. This is the promised land. So Moses doesn't get to cross the Jordan, but Joshua is the leader. And if you know your books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, it's the next book. So Moses is writing the first five books, Moses 1 through Moses 5, and in other translations, that's how they they name these first five books. But the very next book is Joshua's book. 
So we should just know that as we are introduced to a new character in the Bible, just know like he's a pretty big deal. He kind of gets to be the commander throughout um, this sixth book of the Bible. So back to Exodus. What does Joshua have to do? As we're introduced to Joshua, here's what you need to do, Joshua. You have one day to get an army together to fight these Amalekites, the army of Amalek. So we need to remember that the Israelites did not come out of a, um, a platoon of sorts. They came out of slavery. Uh, they probably were not allowed to make weapons as slaves. That probably wasn't part of their life. Um, they probably uh, had been spending the last uh, month or so or, or the time since they've left mostly looking for food and water and not going, ooh, let's make some weapons. There could have been some of that, but when you're hungry, that's kind of what you tend to focus on. So we can assume that given this timeline of uh, 24 hours, uh, Joshua probably said things like, who has something sharp? Who has like a long stick of sorts? Who's between like 20 and 15 as a man ready to fight or willing to fight? Or between 20 and 50, how about that? Men 20 to 50, let's go. We are gonna be attacked and we need to be ready. So moving on to Exodus 17, nine. Moses said, tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So, Another component, it's not a character per se, it's a character if you recognize what this staff means, but this is the staff that when Moses dropped it, it turned into a snake to show Pharaoh that he was a messenger of God. This is the staff that parted the Red Sea so the people could cross, and then, of course, the water destroyed the army of Egypt. This is the staff that just last week we read, early in this chapter, that was used to turn rock into water for a thirsty people. Now it will be used for battle in some way. 17.10. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. So this brings us to our first point today, if you're taking notes. Point number one, battles are opportunities to display God's power. Battles are opportunities to display God's power. This staff, it's a, it's a physical representation of the power of God over and over again. Moses has decided, I'm going to go up a hill. His brother Aaron and his brother-in-law Hur went with them, bringing the staff, or Moses bringing God, if you will, high above the battle. And God does a miracle. He allows unskilled men, a less armed army, prevail over a much greater force. But what happens when Moses' humanity gets involved. His arms get tired. The staff comes down. Let's picture this for a second. We have a staff high above 
the Israelites and they're winning, when the staff is lowered, the army begins to lose. And what is going on in this picture? I think God is using physical events and physical objects to show the whole world something. What is God showing in this historical battle? When the staff is above all victory, when man is above all defeat. So consider a battle that you're in right now. Let's make this personal. It could be one that's been going on for years or one that's just recently begun. Can you consider that this battle you are in be an opportunity to display God's power? Are you the one in control? Maybe you are using some of God's ideas, but for all intents and purposes, you're the one in charge trying to fight this. What if you were to lay down your control and just lift up God in this situation, lean on him? Maybe you, you need to say this. Here's an example. God, I'm sorry. I've been trying to solve this my own way. I've not stepped down and trusted you. I know that you have the power to give victory in this situation. And no matter how this battle turns out, may I be obedient in living under your authority, authority. And in my humility, you will be put on display. Because of my faith in this scenario, your power will be put on display. So point number one today, battles or opportunities to display God's power. Exodus 17, 12. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands. One on one side, and on the other, the other side. But his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Point number two today, battles should be fought together. Battles should be fought together. I don't know how long you can hold something over your head, but I'm going to guess I got about three minutes. I mean, we've already talked about my workout practices, right? I mean, with not a staff in my hand, I'm like the kid in class that was like, if the teacher didn't call on me, I'm doing one of these. You know what I'm talking about? You kind of get that little, oh yeah, I got another minute now. I got this, right? The brothers, the brothers, they're down there fighting. They better get ready for some defense. They better get ready because there's a man up there holding up a staff with weak shoulders. But once again, we see that it's not Moses doing the work. Moses can't hold up his staff. What's God doing? God is holding up an entire army. That's the contrast in this story. But two of Moses' closest brothers were there with them. And what was the first thing they did? Well, as Moses got lower... As Moses' humanity began to show, 
Moses sat down, lowered, lowered his head. His, he, had to get, he had to get lower. He had to get lower so that the brothers there could do what? Lift up God. They keep the staff high above their heads. And the armies could all see that it's God that was sovereign and powerful and fight for his people. Battles should be fought together, friends. This means Moses had to tell others the plan. I'm going to go up the hill and I'm going to take the staff of God with me. And we don't know if he invited these two guys, his brother and his brother-in-law, these guys he trusted, or they're like, you're not going alone we're coming with you. So as we think about battles being fought together, here's my question. Is your battle right now secret? Is your battle secret? I hope not. I, I hope that you would find some Christian brothers or sisters who will be with you. And as you're tired and your humanity and you recognize that you need to be humble and lower yourself, and God needs to be raised, that they may be honest. They'll be able to hold you up. They'll be able to lift up God around you, encourage you, and point you to the gospel. I'm not saying that this is easy. Life is hard. But life is better when we're together. They're going to be internal and external battles in your life. So if you're between battles right now, say you're not in the middle of one at the moment, say you're between battles, my hope is that one, you're building some healthy friendships, some brothers, some sisters, that when the battle comes, because it's coming, that they're there with you. That there's a connection, that there's belonging. And secondly, that you're considering being an Aaron or a her for someone else. And in reality, because I feel like I'm always in a battle personally, that it actually helps me fight my own battles when I step into the battles of others. Because you kind of become more aware of your selfishness when you begin to help other people and the selfless becomes greater in your life and giving and serving and loving and the needs of others begins to strengthen you in your own battles and it helps you with your own vulnerability to ask for help. The word church is a plural word. So review so far. Battles are opportunities to display God's power and battles should be fought together. Let's move on to Verse 14, then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Point number three today, battles should be remembered. Battles should be remembered. The Bible is a, it's a history book. It's his 
story book. It's about God and his pursuit and relationship with sinful humanity. And God is commanding Moses, write this down. He commands it. It's God's justice that will prevail, not the power of Amalek or Joshua or even Moses. And then the altar, this space, this memorial that Moses built, he named it the Lord is my banner. It's my banner. This word banner, picture um, a, a military pole with a banner on it that's, that, that shows where the troops rally, where it shows where the troops should go, where it gives direction. It's, it's the same word that you put at the top of a mast of a ship that describes something about the ship. It's a flag. The Lord is the highest point of the army. That's our rallying point. That's the reminder for us in the church today. Is the Lord your banner? Is it where you're getting your direction? Is it showing you how and where to fight? It translates a signal pole. And as we read this story, these handful of verses, it's a clear victory for God. When the staff was raised, victory. When it's below, it's defeat. When the people were on their own, they were weak. They relied on their own strength. They lose. The external force was stronger. The external force was more skilled, more cunning. Can anyone relate to that? That the external battles and internal battles in your life, they're greater than us. They tend to hurt us. We tend to fail often. Can you remember a time when you thought you could take over and you didn't need God anymore? And many times we find that we don't have the strength in those areas and we were wrong. And we need to turn back to God. Jesus' message when he was here was repent and believe. This word repent means to turn back to God. We are a people that need to hear this message, but God's not shocked by it. He literally tells us over and over again. So my hope for you today is turn back to God. Remember that you need him. Remember that he wins the battles for us. But as we kind of wrap up today, I do want to talk about remembering battles. And what is victory for us today? Well, sometimes, and this is the stories across our church, is God heals. God rescues. God brings a new life in your family when you've been praying for it for years. Our prayers are answered in the affirmative. And it's a time to celebrate and rejoice. And we need to remember those and give God the glory for them. But what happens when the sickness comes, when the cancer doesn't go away, 
when God leaves us in a hard situation where that authority person in your life is not changing and you feel oppressed and your prayers don't feel heard. Life is full of battles like this. What does victory look like? Well, I want to go to Ephesians 6. Battle language in the New Testament for the church. Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything to take your stand... What is a good example of a seemingly lost battle in this world, but actually great victory in the realm of faith? I think of Stephen in the book of Acts. He was the first person to come to mind as I was thinking through, what does it seem like the battle's lost now, but it's actually victory in the realm of faith Stephen is the first martyr in the early church. He preaches the gospel boldly, a couple chapters, a long sermon. And how does the crowd respond? Well, they stone him to death. He speaks truth, and the battle begins because of the truth that he speaks. But I believe Stephen put on the full armor of God that day. Acts 7, 54. When they heard these things that Stephen said, they were enraged in their hearts and gnashed their teeth at him. These are people who rejected Jesus being the Christ. 55. But Stephen, filled by the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw God's glory with Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then Stephen knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. In saying this, he fell asleep. Friends, battles should be remembered. And it's our faith that brings victory, not the circumstances. Amen? It's our faith. You know why? Because that's something that we can be a part of. We don't know if the world's going to kill us, hurt us, make fun of us, lessen us. If our parents or our children will reject us, we can't control that. But what God says is, put on the full armor of God. Trust in me. Stand firm on the foundation of Christ and the work that he has done on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And even in your death, may I reveal heaven to you. And you say, God, I see more clearly than I've ever seen. Forgive these people as I come into your presence. Battles are going to hurt. But when we put on the full armor of God, our faith 
puts God on display. So in our view today, God will be forever remembered being the banner, the victory over the battle with Amalek. The Holy Spirit will be remembered for giving Stephen the faith he needed for telling the truth and staying faithful till the end. May we remember our battles and learn from those when our arms were too low and when our arms were held high. May we be there for each other in our battles in this life as we fight against the tactics of the devil who wants to destroy our faith, the true loss. Thirdly, may we know this life is mostly about God. It's about his glory and who he is being put on display. And may our faith be a sign to the world of the forgiveness and love and beauty of Christ. Let's review today this points. Battles are opportunities to display God's power. Battles should be fought together and battles should be remembered. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. May this, this battle where we saw you fight for your people encourage us today in all of our battles. We know there's problems in our life that we've put on ourselves in our sin. We know there's problems in our life because of the sins of others. And some of these, Father, we feel like we're never gonna win. But Jesus, I thank you, as we heard earlier from Hebrews, that you are one who fought and you never sinned and you give us the power to rely on you. Always victorious Jesus is who we lean on lives on. God, we love you. We thank you. And it's your name. Amen.